Welcome back to another episode of Suncast, the official podcast of Somos Unidos News and your source for the latest news on New Mexico United. I'm one of your hosts, Seth Biddulph, and coming up on this week's show, El Paso has the inside track, the brooms finally got used in Harriman, and loyalty takes on a new meaning. This is episode number 17 of our show, and we want to thank everyone for their continued support of what we do here. We wouldn't be here without each and every one of you listening to the show, reading our content, and being here as you record live on Twitch each and every week. And because of you guys' continued support, that's why we are here on Twitch, bringing the show to you in a new medium and in a way where you guys can interact with us live while we record each and every episode. So by being here in the Twitch chat, you guys have the opportunity to drop in any comments or questions you may have for myself, for Earl, for Jacob, about United, about us, I mean... Uh, within reason, of course, and uh, we will get, do our best to answer those, and we want to have a conversation with other United and or other USL supporters uh, as the season goes on. Now, before we do get into this week's discussion, I do want to remind you guys that Jacob and I do have written content over on our website. We do pre- and post-match coverage each and every week, and we also have a blog where we talk about our lives as dads, which has sadly not been updated in quite a while, although I do have something I am working on. And occasionally we do have a little bit of video game news and notes, but that tends to be few and far between. All right. With all that out of the uh, out of the way, let me bring in my co-host. You guys have already heard him if you're here on live on the Twitch channel, Jacob Terrell and Earl Nieto. Uh, quick question for you guys. What do you guys think is going to happen with MLS this year? To be completely honest, I have no clue. I've watched it, but... I have not followed it nearly as much as as I did last year, partly because the two teams that I really care to watch, uh, one is LAFC. They're kind of struggling this year. And then the other one is the Rapids, and they are kind of always struggling. So um, I could tell you who's in first, but it seems wide open to me. So here's how far out of the loop I am with MLS. I don't even know who's in first place. Um, I do know I'm a LAFC fan only because of the Shalala, <laughs> and I did watch the Shalala on ESPN Plus, and that's kind of why I became a kind of why I became a LAFC fan. But I haven't really watched anything since the return to or the back to soccer tournament, and that's about where I stopped watching it. The the Shalala thing after I watched that last year before the season started, I would just start singing that randomly and my wife would look at me very funny. My wife still looked at me funny like that. Yeah, so I'm right there with you. I they were that was basically what got me there. It was more their supporter culture that they have embraced that got me there, but uh at the same time the the Shalala definitely helped. What do you think, Seth? What do I think about MLS this season? I know Atlanta is not gonna be there, so Hey, we are five points, five points out of a playoff spot. I'm sorry, not even five points. We are one point out of a playoff position. One point, given how bad we've played this year. One point out. We've got DC United this weekend, who I absolutely think we can beat. We just brought in a new DP, a new midfielder. And, you know, we, we've had two very good performances in a row here. So, but, you know, I don't think we're going to win it all. This is absolutely a year that. Atlanta United is going to want to forget here in just a little while. Um, but I think it's either going to be, uh, honestly, 
watching the way everyone plays, it'll either be Seattle um, or probably Toronto. Toronto's doing much better this year. I really like Columbus, though. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've liked I liked them last year. I liked what they did in the MLS's back tournament. Um, I kind of just thought that they were a really good team, and they've kind of played better than I think anybody else thought they would. So, so I, I like their chances. Um, but it really is. I mean, or you got you have Orlando in the top four in the Eastern Conference right now. Um, it's kind of crazy everything that's going on there. So. So I don't know. I I know how many more matches are left because they're not playing. They're only playing what sixteen matches. I think it's about nine matches left for each eight or nine matches left for each squad. So. Okay, that's that's more than I thought. Yeah, they're coming down to the end. Vinovix here in chat says, uh, "Don't basically don't sleep on a uh, Boston Revolution. That's his team. So <laughs> don't watch them, but don't sleep on them. Apparently, so." Uh, the Revs are not doing bad. I mean, they're sitting fifth place right now in the Eastern Conference. So, is it Boston Revolution or New England Revolution? Uh, it's New England Revolution, but that's that's uh, what I says Boston in chat. Yeah. So, all right, that's our that's our little uh, quick two 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 minute hit on uh, MLS and our opening question here. But you guys know that we're not here to talk MLS. We're not here to talk NFL like we did last week. Uh, we are here to talk New Mexico United and guys. By all accounts, the regular season is done. We have not heard anything from the club in terms of the RGV match being rescheduled. To the best of my knowledge, and from what I can tell, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Now, because of that, the entire because of that and the way and what happened with Loudon basically canceling their remaining you know three or four matches however they have left, the league has switched over to a points per game format. Now, I've run the numbers every which way that I possibly can. The way it's going to work out, even if the uh, even if El Paso loses this Saturday against Real Monarchs SLC, they will still end up with a 1.81 points per match, points per game average, and United will have 1.80. Now, do you guys think that something should be done given the fact that United did play one fewer match? Do you think that this is the right way to go about it, to just let it end on that? So part of me is wondering, because they haven't come out and just flat out said the RGV match is done or is not going to happen. Part of me is wondering, since they haven't said that, if there's a possibility that if El Paso does happen to lose or draw, if they would try to make that happen, to actually get a legitimate winner or if, cause it seems to me like they would, they should have come out and already said, Hey, the RGV match is done. It's canceled, whatever, not going to happen. Uh, and they haven't done that, which I find strange. So I'm holding out hope that if El Paso doesn't get the win, that we will still somehow squeeze that match in. Now, part of me, Part of me is hoping that just because I'd like to have the winner because the difference between Tulsa and San Antonio to me is pretty drastic. But at the same time, it means another match on the road right before the playoffs start. Is that really what we want to do? So I th- hopefully all of this is just a moot point and El Paso can get the win on Saturday and then it doesn't matter and we can just move on with our lives. But if they don't, it's going to be interesting. I don't know what's going to happen. And if they 
do not schedule the RGV match to ans- actually answer your question. Even if El Paso loses and it's 0. 0.80 to 0. 0.81, I'm okay with El Paso taking it because they have been playing better. They, as far as I'm concerned, deserve it, even if it is just a minuscule point difference. If it comes down to that 0. 0.8 or the 0. 0.01 of, of a point for us to be in first place or second place, um, I mean, it can really go either way. I mean, I would love... Obviously, being a United fan, I would love to be in first place, just as a competitive nature of me. But in the long run, does it really matter? And we did touch on this last week. 0.01 points is not going to get us a home match. So either way, we'd be traveling to whoever the heck we play, whether it is San Antonio or whoever finishes in second place over in that division. Would I love to finish first? Yes. But is it going to matter in the long run? Like I said, no. Yeah, it's tough. It's hard to say, like, is this the right move for the USL? Like, in the case of Loudon, I get it. They canceled three matches. In that case, you've got to figure out some way to get uh, some sort of compensation to the clubs that, that, that would have played Loudon. Now, in this case, as of right now, RGV still has two matches that, are, that, that have been postponed that have not been rescheduled. FC Tulsa and us. And looking at RGV's schedule, RGV is already scheduled up until October 3rd. So on Saturday, if they were to play and you've got two clubs that they would be, that they have to play that are still trying to figure out playoff contention. You know, are they even going to make it in there? I mean, bold has Austin bold is one match remaining. FC Tulsa has two. And right now Tulsa has a three point lead on Austin bold. Now, if RGV were to play Tulsa, we just saw RGV beat Austin to give the, to to deal their playoff chances a significant blow. But in, in that case, like, what do you do? How do you schedule two matches against clubs that are fighting for playoff positioning within, you know, basically seven days, eight days? The playoffs start on the eighth, and it, it wouldn't be fair to either of those clubs to have to play, say, on the what the seventh possibly. And then play again on the eleventh because that's that's three days rest. Well, one thing that they should have done last week was or last weekend was say, okay, the Rio Grande Valley OK Energy OKC Energy match that's scheduled for the third is not happening, and instead Rio Grande Valley is going to play Tulsa. See, that would have made sense since that actually matters. And then as for us, we would have got we would have probably got Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday and been screwed. But um, that's the, that's the only thing that makes sense to me that they could have done to lighten the load on some people. Cause uh, OK synergy, OKC energy is sitting on 10 points through 15 matches. Get them out of here. We don't need that. We don't need them to finish 16 games when somebody like FC Tulsa, who's fighting for their playoff lives could use that match and actually benefit from it in the playoff playoff race but it doesn't i mean it's already thursday so if they were to do that they would do it on friday the day before the match i don't see that happening whatsoever so i think everybody's just screwed i think it's i think i think it just is what it is i and going into this season once the restart happened we kind of knew that it could be that way and honestly if you look at the standings tulsa has a three-point lead with two matches in hand compared to Austin who only has the one match left 
Austin would have to win and FC Tulsa would have to lose both of their matches, which I just don't see happening. So it's probably going to be FC Tulsa no matter what. There was a glaring move, or there was an obvious move to make in saying, okay, C-Energy, I'm sorry, but your season's over. We're going to schedule RGV versus Tulsa so Tulsa can get their one more game in and be done with it. And that's not what happened. Yeah, I know some of the discussion on Twitter has centered around what happens with this final match. Now, I know Brandon Ortega said that if United is within three points, they could still potentially win. But, I mean, really it comes down to what happens with El Paso's match. Now, if El Paso wins on Saturday, it's done. No questions asked. If they if they draw and United then played RGV, there's a chance for United to take over. But like we've like we've been saying for the past couple of weeks, I don't know that we don't know that that match is going to be rescheduled. And based on the tweet from the club ahead of the match the other night saying it was the final regular season match, I I'm taking that as the club saying the RGV match is not going to happen. And which is unfortunate because if that match happened and El Paso did anything other than win on Saturday, United is basically screwed out of an opportunity to retake first place, if you ask me. But given the fact that the USL Board of Governors has decided that if matches cannot be played, if they have to be canceled, they're going to switch to a points per game format. And so going by that, I mean, no matter what happens on Saturday, United will trail El Paso at the end of the night. Even if we were to be ahead of El Paso, um, that whole home field advantage thing doesn't really matter to New Mexico in a general because we have a crazy quarantine order where we can't have bands and stands or we can't have really anything at home. Um there was rumor, because I am pretty good friends with the head of the New Mexico soccer board, there was rumors to push for something if there was a chance. And thanks, Benovich, for giving you giving me your last uh, your last bit. Sorry, I got off, I got off there. Um, I know there was rumor that if there was a chance to have something at home that it would be done, that they do everything that they could be done. Um, I don't see that happening now especially with us pretty much if El Paso beats the Monarchs which I could not see not happening so if El Paso beats the Monarchs then yeah we're second place for sure by that standing we more than likely won't get a home game and god forbid we get eliminated by San Antonio but We'll see how that plays out then. Yeah, I think that um, it's basically that we're in second place and the match that we're going to play in the playoffs is going to be against San Antonio and it's going to be in San Antonio. That's how I'm looking forward to it. I That's how I'm looking, looking at it going forward. You know, we're going to have plenty of rest. We last played on the 30th, so we're going to at least have till the 8th, if not later. So gonna have plenty of rest to be rested up you know we didn't we'll talk about the uh real monarchs match here in a little bit and how that played out but we didn't play our starters for most of their Devin got in there late a few of them got in there late but for the most part they didn't play so they should be well rested and we should be able to come out come out firing hopefully um against san antonio whenever that may be 
but I'm excited to see what what this weekend brings. Even though we're not playing, it's nice. It's kind of nice to not be playing because then we can just focus on everything else that's going on and and not have to worry about anything. So we'll see. But I'm going off the assumption we play San Antonio. Yeah, that certainly seems like what is going to happen uh, come next week. I think the biggest thing as far as the standings go and how things end up is going to be who that first round opponent is going to be. Now, we've talked about it, and I think we would all prefer to play you know, FC Tulsa or Austin compared to San Antonio, but I think San Antonio is going to end up being a real test for United. We've played some tough teams. Now, we've also said that San Antonio is coming out of a group that isn't necessarily the strongest. Every group pretty much, well, I don't want to say that every group, but a, no, a, a number of the groups have have these vast differences in terms of quality between top two and bottom two. And between groups C and D, you've got five clubs that really all could have been in. I don't know. I, I think San Antonio would be a real good test for us. Although I think most folks would have liked to have seen, you know, Austin or FC Tulsa. I think possibly those could have been like driven to. I don't know if uh, San Antonio is close enough. Never been there myself, but um, yeah, I think that's what it is for most folks. And I would agree uh, to an extent. I I do think San Antonio could be looked at as just a little bit fraudulent. Um, if you look at their schedule, it was Monarchs, RGV, RGV, Austin, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Austin, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, RGV, RGV, El Paso, which they lost, Austin, OKC, and then Tulsa again, which they lost. So if you look at that, I mean, Tulsa and Austin were competitive at least, but they played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight matches against RGV, Real Monarchs, and OKC Energy. And if you look at the standings there, those three teams have a combined 27 points. <laughs> I mean, the they're just not good. With a minus 13, minus 15, and minus 7 goal differential. Um, I mean, that's a lot of free points for San Antonio right there. <laughs> so... We'll see. The, the stiffest competition they faced is El Paso, and they kind of got worked that match. The score wasn't wasn't indicative of, of being worked, but if you watch the match, um, they didn't really put up much of a fight. So I'm a little more optimistic uh, going against them than I was before they played El Paso, honestly. When I saw what El Paso did to them, I, they lost their, their luster a little bit. And I think that because of that, as far as the opponent goes, I'm not as worried about a matchup with them as I was. There are some other reasons why I'm worried about a matchup with anybody in general, but we'll talk about that when we start to talk about the matches that we just saw over the last week. Yeah, we'll get into all that. Um, before we move on to our recaps of the last two matches, there hasn't really been a whole lot of news out of the club. Now, we do want to extend our congratulations to uh, Coach Troy and his wife, uh, Amanda, I believe. Amanda, I saw that right? I think so. The tweet wasn't exactly clear from the club. They either welcomed their firstborn or they are expecting their firstborn. 
so congratulations to the two of them. Uh, we know that Troy has not been on the on the touchline uh, for two of the past three matches, so uh, I'm sure that you know he's been with been with his wife over the past couple of weeks and you know spending time with family. And so again, just congratulations from all of us to Troy and his wife. Uh, and we cannot wait for the the little one to make the, their debut here at the club. So, and with that, Troy is now invited on Dad Ventures Media. Yes, yes, sir. Good call, Earl. Good call. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm almost positive they welcomed her to the world. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I I think that's the case. But um, yeah, that's always a big moment. Uh, and and I as much as I as happy as I am for him and, and, you know, being dads, me and Seth anyways, um, knowing that feeling of, of greatness when you do have your first child. Um, it is part of the reason why I'm not high on our chances going into the playoffs. Well, hopefully, hopefully Troy's wife, uh, understands, you know, the need for Troy, for him to be there on the touchline and, uh, is willing, willing to, to let him, uh, come be with the club. Seth, let me ask you this. When you had your first child, a week after you had your first child, was your mind as sharp as it's ever been? Well, to be completely honest with you, when my son was first born, um, I actually did not have the custody that I have now. So I was getting plenty of sleep. So yeah, my mind was pretty good at that point. What about the first one that you had in your house? Oh yeah, that... um, I was back to work within like three days of that happening. So, um, it was, uh, a lot of time with, uh, Aaron taking care of our youngest at that point. So yeah, like, I mean, at that point there's really not a lot for, for me to do, you know, I mean, you and I both know there's not a, not a lot for the dad to do at that point, you know, maybe wake up in the middle of the night, help with diapers and stuff like that. But I, honestly, I feel like, you know, mentally I was pretty, uh, pretty on top of things, but you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, uh, the oddball then because I, I was lost for that, that first one, but, um, we'll see. I, I'm happy that he, that everything's going good over there and that, um, that he welcomed her and, and supposedly, or uh, hopefully she's happy and healthy and everything going on there. So, but I know that there were tactics this, this past match and a little bit in the El Paso match that I was, not sure about so we'll see i part of me you know we when we started this podcast um and almost every week since then i've been the annoying optimistic person and i don't know why but that optimism has quickly faded and now i'm i'm not sure how i feel about moving forward yeah i mean there's gonna be a lot to talk about here coming into the playoffs um i do have one other thing i do want us to touch on uh, for anyone that is and has not seen the news surrounding the USL over the past two weeks, um, last week the San Diego Loyal opted to forfeit their match against LA Galaxy 2 after a racial slur was used during the course of the match. Um, according to the league, they did. According to the league, that they couldn't just unilaterally like forfeit and give up the point. Um, Loyal opted to do so because they didn't want to recognize a match in which that happened. Um, the and then last night, or yeah, last night in the match against uh, Phoenix Rising FC, there was an allegation of a homophobic slur used against uh, one of the San Diego Loyal members. 
while San Diego was up 3-1 in the first half, um, the Loyal opted to walk off the pitch at that point after halftime and not continue the match. So the match is currently sitting in in an abandoned status. The league is investigating what happened on the pitch. And there are a number of different opinions around the around the Twitter soccer verse. Um, and we all know that Twitter soccer or really social media soccer in general is not always the best place in the world. Um, right now, the Phoenix Rising management and the player in question have come out and denied the allegation. While the player from San Diego has come out and said, yes, this did happen. And you've got Landon Donovan and the rest, and the rest of the loyal supporting him. Um, now, we saw a, an, an instance earlier in the season where a player was suspended for a grand total of seven matches, one for a red card violation because of a racial slur, and then six by being after being suspended by the league's disciplinary committee. Uh, the player was then, of course, released um, from his contract by LA Galaxy 2. Given the fact that this has happened two weeks in a row now, and like this has basically cost San Diego Loyal their playoff position, does the league have an I mean, what are the league's options from here? Do we think the league is going to just, yes, they are investigating. Do we, does the league need to step in and make a, like a hard and fast rule more than what's already there? And there's also been comments made by a member of Phoenix Rising management to where he believes it's a conspiracy theory presented or put into place by um, San Diego Loyal to try to give themselves uh, more exposure or basically just bring more eyes to this. Now, when it comes to that, does the USL have a duty to do something about this member of rising management? Earl, go ahead. So if you're on Twitch earlier, you heard Jacob and his mini tirade rant. Here's how I'm looking at it. Whether it was said or not, um, you're looking at San Diego Loyal forfeiting essentially two games in a row, two matches in a row. So you're forfeiting two matches in a row and you're seeing the league not punish the offending team. So last week we saw Los Dos, granted they took it into their own hands, they took care of business on their own by releasing that individual. Um, this week, I highly doubt we're going to see anything like that. I mean, you're talking Junior Flemings, who, if I'm not, if I'm not wrong, is the leading goal scorer in the league right now. Um, I you I don't see the league stepping in to do anything about it. I also don't see Phoenix Rising or Phoenix Diving do anything about it as well. Um, so if I'm if I'm the Loyals' next opponent, I'm going to use that as a tactic because that's almost an easy three points because there's not any reprimand coming from the league and it's not really requested for the club to reprimand that individual anyway. So why not incorporate that into your game plan, do it early to where you don't have to play the whole game I mean, do it ninth, tenth minute where someone says something stupid, gets the loyals, 
the Loyals fired up a little bit. They walk mm-hmm. off the pitch, don't come back. Well, that's a free three points that we just played nine minutes for. Let's go back home. Can we get the hot take Earl name tag back up there for that? I Yeah, I, we can do that. I would have never thought of of using it to their to the opposing team's advantage. Um which I hope they never do. Right. San Diego has played all of their matches this year though. They are done. They have played their sixteen. Um so so if if somebody does that it'll have to be next year. I don't know what like I, I'm I'm seeing people call for a ban on Junior Flemings and for Rick Shantz to be fired and all this stuff. And I just I'm I get it, man. If he said it, then it was bad. It's it there's no place for that. I've also played sports my whole life and know that there are things said on the court, on the field, on the pitch that are very unsavory. And I just don't think this is how you get rid of it. I don't think the forfeiting your, your playoff spot essentially, um, or at least chance at a playoff spot. Cause, cause if I'm, if I understand this correctly, they gave them the point for the Los Dos match. So they lost out on three points if they were to hold on to the win. So they'd be sitting at 26 and LA galaxy is sitting on 26 as well with one more match to go. So they probably wouldn't have made it anyways, but you you had a chance to actually stick it to Phoenix where it hurts. And that's in the standings. Not that Phoenix is going to miss the playoffs or anything, but you had a chance to, to get a win over what is often considered the best team in our league. And I just, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've been struggling with it ever since it happened. Um, part of my brain is over here with the whole situation, screaming virtue signaling and Hey, look at us for doing these cool things. And part of me is over here going, yeah, I guess that's what we needed to do. If we want to get it out of the game, I just, I don't know. It's just a weird situation. It just, it's right along. I mean, it fits perfectly into 2020 with um, everything that's going on in the social justice realm, as well as just weird things in general happening in 2020. So um, I'm frustrated by it a little bit just because calling for people's jobs and to be banned and all this stuff when all we have is this, you know, two minute clip of an interaction between the coaches and the refs. It, it just goes to a lot of the, a lot of the things that I have a problem when you only see a 20 second clip of something without knowing the whole story and then starting call, start calling for people's heads. Like let's take a minute, have people do their job, investigate it, see what happens, see what comes of it and then start calling for people's heads or whatever you want to do. But this whole jumping the gun thing drives me nuts everywhere in America right now. So I'm not going to say any more because I don't want to offend anybody or, or get into any more trouble. So that that's, that's my take on it. I, 
Yeah, no, I, I get that. Like, you know, we certainly, we don't want to offend anyone. And, you know, we support, you know, I think I can speak for all of us. You know, we support, you know, L- the LGBTQ plus community. You know, we certainly don't want anyone to feel excluded from, you know, supporting their club. Or, you know, in the case of uh, the player of San Diego, I believe his name is Chris Martin. Um, you know, he was Colin Martin. Okay, Colin Martin, I apologize. Colin Martin, you know, who is who is an openly gay player in the USL. You know, we don't, you don't want people to feel like they can't be themselves, you know. And so I think, like I guess, with the with the way that society is right now in 2020, with with everything that's gone over the past couple of years, and we're not going to dive into all that, you know. Um, I think you, I think you definitely have to err on the side of caution um, when it comes to this. You definitely, you don't want to, you know, immediately. And in, in, in the in the just in the court system, you you are innocent until proven guilty. Now, you, I think the same thing applies here. You don't necessarily want to say, oh, it's an absolute, it happened, and then come out, come back to be wrong later, and then, you know, that, that party having suffered for it. You also don't want to immediately, you know, defend that person and say, oh, no, it didn't happen. There's no way this could have done it, you know, or, or anything like that. You, you want to take the time to investigate and find out what exactly did happen before a decision is made. Um, now there was another statement from a, from a, from another member of rising management today saying that Fleming's would not play a Saturday night in their match if the USL investigation was not completed. Now, at this point, do you guys think that benching junior Fleming's in a completely useless match, do you think that that? is like suitable to do for now? Or do you think that they need to do something further until the investigation is completed? No, I think, I think even as useless as the game may be, a suspension of sorts while pending investigation is an absolutely right call. I mean, you can't have someone who is accused of doing wrong back in the area where he was doing wrong. I mean, he's not going to learn his lesson if he did it wrong. I'm not saying he did. I'm not saying he didn't. Um, it's not my spot. Obviously, I'm just some podcaster that gives my hot take. Benching him for one game while the investigation goes on, that's, a, that's in my opinion, is a good call. And I actually stand corrected because I did write to failure. I did write down failure to reprimand him. Technically, him being out one game is a reprimand of sort. So yeah, it's a right call. I mean, sure, it's it's something. Um, if he did it, um, and it's cut and dry, he deserves more than that. As far as if if the investigation takes longer than the one match, I think having him miss a playoff match while they continue the investigation, we'll see if Phoenix is as willing to bench him for that as they are for for this meaningless last regular season match since they already have first place locked up and are going to the playoffs for sure. You know, I think it's pretty easy to get, hey, Junior, we were probably not going to play you anyways in this match since it's meaningless and you've been our best player all year. Uh, but now we're going to say that it's because of this and not because we want to rest you. So 
I think it's it's just uh, sugar coating on on it and and hoping that people will see that and go, oh, okay, yeah, awesome. But who knows? It's it's a it's a disaster all the way around. So we'll just I at the moment since I'm not there investigating it myself. I'm going to have to take whatever comes out of the investigation as what happened and go from there. I It sounds, though, pretty cut and dry that he said something that was inappropriate from the video of the refs and the two coaches sitting there talking. So don't be surprised if he's not in there for the playoffs or, or the start of next year. Um, I don't think he should be fired. I don't think Rick, Shan- Rick Shantz should be fired. But... Um, I, I kind of do expect him to be um, be suspended for the at least six games like the other player got and but but don't expect Phoenix to just let him go. That's to be completely honest, um, if Felix did or if Phoenix did that, I would be I would call Phoenix stupid just because you can suspend him for the rest of this season and then Phoenix can try to move him in the off season and try to get something for him because the dude is talented. And if you're talented in sports, you're going to get another chance. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him on another USL team next year or another M or an MLS team, even depending on how they feel about it. And if they do an investigation into it. So he might, I think the end result is he probably has played his last match for Phoenix, but that's not because Phoenix is just going to let him go. It's because they're going to try to move him on. I don't know his contract situation. I don't know anybody in the USL's contract situation, which drives me insane. But um, if he is signed for next year, I could see a loan or, or, or a transfer of some kind after this season is over. So sitting out one meaningless game that I'm serious he probably was going to sit out anyways. Not, not worth it. Not, it doesn't do anything for me, but if the investigation comes back and they don't suspend him for the playoffs, then I could see an uproar that I can get behind. According to transfer market, he is under contract with Phoenix rising until November 30th of this year. Uh, most, as we know, most USL contracts are only for a year at a time. And he is currently valued, according to Transfer Market, at a little over three, around three hundred thirty thousand um, dollars, as far as a, as far as a transfer value goes. So um, there, there has been talk of him possibly moving on to MLS after this season uh, because of how well he's performed over the past two years, uh, which certainly you know could happen. Um, but it, yeah, it's just I don't know. It's it's hard to say for sure what should be done. Now, I mean, you know, we had our own situation earlier this year with Manny Padilla, um, who the club cut ties with, uh, based on something that happened, you know, years ago when he was uh, at the University of San Francisco. Um, so, I mean, clubs are are at this point they're taking the what seems to be the the PR way out of things. You know, this player has done this, and it looks bad on the club. I mean, you know, Olivero. Well, I think it was, what was his name, Oliveros, for Los Dos. They they cut him after his incident two weeks ago. We saw, I think it was, was it, I think it was Salih last year, 
He got suspended. Yeah, he got a he got a red card. He got a red card and got kicked out and then got suspended for I think three more matches. Yeah. So I mean, now we we still don't know what happened in that one. Um, as far as we know, that was just like um, you know, him like being uh, foul with his language, not necessarily homophobic or, or, or uh, using racial slurs or anything like that. It could, it could go either way. They could either let him go um, and then just cut their losses based on how, um, you know, how it could look if they, you know, if he, if it comes out that this did happen is some people have said that, you know, if they keep him, that's the club excusing what he did based on his, his value to them on the pitch. Or they could just you know keep him anyway and not care what anyone thinks and say, hey, we want to win. We're gonna, you know, and you know, either move him on in the offseason or keep him on next year and go try to go for, you know, a, a third consecutive Western Conference title. So, you know, who knows? It could go either way. But if you guys are okay, we'll just move on from this discussion at that point. We have much better things to talk about. Um than the seriousness uh, of what's been going on around the USL. We do, of course, have New Mexico United match results to talk about. Uh, last Saturday, um, New Mexico United drew with El Paso 0-0 down uh, once again on the road, Southwest University Park. Uh, if I remember correctly, Troy was not on the on the, on the the touchline for that one. I could be, I could be wrong. I think he was. Oh, you're right. He was there for that. One. He wasn't there for for uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so uh, Troy was back for this one. It looked more like one of our typical lineups um, with, with Devin, uh, Devin and those guys in. Uh, Troy, of course, got back to using all five subs once again. Um, I, mean, I know it's been a few days since this match, and. By this point, you know, what's fresh in our minds is, of course, you know, the Monarchs match. But was there anything that we saw in Saturday's match against El Paso uh, that made us think that we had improved over the prior match, which we did lose to them? Um, or was there anything that we necessarily could have done, you know, particularly could have done better to get away with, get a win in that match? Go ahead, Earl. So, and I might even be hating what you were going to say. Uh, what I think we did a lot better was we managed to press. I mean, they pressed us a good 70 minutes, 60, 70 minutes of just nonstop in our half, in the attacking half, even the attacking third. But they were just, they were on top of us the whole time. Um, so for us to come out with a draw, I don't, the way they pressed, I don't see us pulling out a win. But what impressed me was how well they did manage the press and skate by with at least one point. Yeah, that's that's not what I was going to say at all, because I was going to track back just a touch and say, Earl, we completely missed the perfect opportunity to throw out a Phoenix sucks, and we didn't do it. So I'll, I'll do it now. Phoenix sucks, and well, then I'll I move mean, on to the... I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of obvious. Yeah, but we got to get it in there at least once Don't an worry. episode now. I didn't miss it. I have it written down here. Right there. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yep. Good job. Now, as for the El Paso man, we went to Albuquerque this weekend. We were going to go to the Electric Playhouse thing, but I procrastinated and they sold out before I could. So, me and my wife and a buddy and his wife actually watched the match at Starbros. Um, but because 
we watched it somewhere that didn't have the sound on and we had our wives with us and we were all talking and stuff. I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't get a good feel for this match because I was distracted um, to an extent. I know that we got lucky in the first half because I watched the first half pretty closely and it was chance after chance for El Paso that just never landed that hit, they hit the woodwork. I don't know how many times Um, Cody had a brilliant save or two or three. Um, But, but the first half was definitely a team that looked tired and a team that looked sluggish and a team that wasn't near the top of their game. Now the second half was a completely different story. It was well played by both teams. We had the better chances. Um, we probably should have won somehow. Um, I'm still not sure about the offside call. I think it was, at the end, I think it was the right call, but it was close enough that I'm still not 100% sure. So we we could have got a goal there and snuck out three points and possibly won the group. But that's what happened. We didn't get it. So, so I think in the end, it, it was a well-played game for the majority of it. Uh, we looked fairly strong from what I saw, especially in the second half. Both teams had several chances that were unlucky, probably should have went in uh, or counted if, since they did go in. So a nil-nil draw seems about right. It was definitely an improvement over the 3-2 loss. Our defense, aside from giving up several chances, um, looked really stout, especially in the second half. So I'm happy with the result. I just, we're just not playing how I feel like we should be playing. And we'll talk about that more in the, uh, the, the RSL match, but I just, I feel like it should have been, there's just something missing from the way we're playing that, that isn't there right now compared to earlier in the year. And I don't know if it's just tired legs or what it is, but something's not there and it it doesn't sit right with me. Going back to that, that offside call. Well, before I get into that, I agree. We, we actually did, we did play better especially in the second half than we did in the prior match. Uh, we were much more, I felt like we played better, especially defensively, but not necessarily giving in to what El Paso was wanting to do. Um, they did still control that vast majority of possession in the match. Uh, closing in on 59% possession. Um, so we did, yeah, if we played better, they only had two more shots unless the entire match and they only had two on target, which I think is a, which I think is um, something that they have to have in order for them to really feel dangerous in the final third by not allowing them those clean looks like they did um, or not having the mis- and also not having the mistakes in the back line. I think those were huge, huge uh, differences for us in that match on Saturday night against El Paso. Um, I'm pulling up something that I wrote up on after the match on Saturday night, where I actually went into the uh, I got in, I did a deep dive on the uh, on the offside call, and so what happened is that when that play initially started. Uh, I believe it was, um, let me pull this up here real, real quick. So when, when Brucey played the ball in initially, both Josh and Kalen were onside. 
they were both, you know, on the on the correct side of the of the last defender. Now, once Josh took possession of the ball, he moved behind the defender and Kalen was still behind him. So at that point, when 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 Josh gets beyond that final defender, the ball now becomes the offside line. So with Kalen behind him, Josh is able to pass it either backwards to Kalen, laterally to Kalen, or even pass it forward, and Kalen can run up and get the ball because he is technically he is considered onside because he's behind the ball. Now, when Kalen shot or whatever you want to call it, shot or passed it to the left side of the of the goal, Josh was ahead of him. Josh was ahead of the ball, so he was in an offside position. Now, with even with where they were at, like it was really hard to tell. But if you watch, if you watch the replay, and I. I spent probably a half hour going back and forth over the replay trying to figure out what exactly happened and why it was called offside. And I actually went back to my notes that I had from when I trained to be a, a, a AYSO referee. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah, Josh was unfortunately in an offside position because he was ahead of the ball. Now I, I contend if Kalen had gone to the right, because you know, you've got Josh coming on the left the keeper Kidder was already committed to his right or the left hand side of the goal when Josh passed it. If Kalen had just gone to the right, this wouldn't even be a discussion. Mm-hmm. It would have been a one nil win. United walks away with three points back in charge of the, of the group of group C. Well, unfortunately Kalen went to his left. Now I think if Josh hadn't touched it, the ball might've gone in. It's hard to say, or Ketterer might have, might've saved at that point. I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, if Josh hadn't touched it, I think we wouldn't find. But by Josh touching it while in an offside position, that's where the problem was. So, I mean, ultimately, I think it was the right call. I just, it just really sucks that it happened that way. And it was really confusing there because it certainly looked like it was a goal. It looked like we were in, that we had, had the win there. But, you know, it, sometimes that's just the way it goes in soccer, you know, the, just one bad, one bad touch, you know. So, but yeah, I, I mean, we, we played well. We, um, you know, I, I was glad that we got a point. It definitely kept us in uh, contention for the top of the group. And it did show a, a, a lot of improvement over the prior match. But again, just there are mental mistakes that happened in the 3-2 loss that we just didn't see in this match. Agreed. Agreed. One last thing about the Star Brothers experience. Um Former New Mexico United player Josh Goss was actually there, uh, and I spoke with him for a little bit, um, which was kind of fun. Uh, he, he's he's not with the club this year, obviously. Um, he didn't play hardly at all for the club last year. He he was a former Albuquerque Soul player that was kind of uh, a local boy that they brought to the team. Just I think I think at the at first they thought he could contribute, but then he got injured and. Um, had a rough year last year, but I, I ran into him and spoke with him for a few minutes, uh, which was nice. I don't think he's used to getting recognized because I walked over and I said, you're Josh Goss. Um, and we chatted for a little bit and, and he seemed kind of surprised by that. And then I actually bought him a drink and he was confused by that. And I said, well, you played for New Mexico United and this and that and the other. And, and it was just nice inter- interaction. He was a super nice guy. Um, and it was, it, it was a good time. It, it, it was nice to just have a conversation with, with somebody that was in the locker room last year and, and kind of experienced that magical run. So, 
you know, go watch the game at Star Bros. You might run into him again. Um, you never know. Any final thoughts on the El Paso match before we move on? Who's your guys' man of the match? I'm going to give it to Cody. There were quite a few saves that probably shouldn't have been there, but were there. You agree, Seth? Yeah, I actually had Cody as man of the match in my article for ESPN Radio. Uh, without Cody's, uh, I think he had, like he mentioned, two or three spectacular saves that uh, that kept the scoreline to what it was. Um, and, I, you know, Cody has been, Cody's had, had an outstanding, had, has had an outstanding season this year. Um, and you'll probably touch on it here again in just a minute. But, I mean, six clean sheets, the match against El Paso, in 16, yes, in 16 matches. Uh, the fifth one, of course, was the El Paso match uh, from last weekend. Um, I feel like Cody's just Cody's been better this year all the way around. The defense has been better, but yeah, I just I went and looked at it and I said, you know, Cody did a fantastic job. Um, he kept us uh, right where we needed to. Kept El Paso out of the goal, made some great saves, and really just has stepped up his game all season long. So yeah, Cody was my man of the match. So not to cut I, you off, Jacob, but real know. quick, I got some breaking news. Oh no. President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump test positive for COVID nineteen. Hmm. Not surprised. How about um, that? Given his stance on on the coronavirus in general, but um, I I don't care for the guy. Uh, I thought he's done done more than he's getting getting credit for since he became president. But I still don't like him as a. I don't care for him as a person. That being said. I don't wish any ill on anybody, so so I'll I'll pray for for them to to get through this in in good health and and come out the other side of it. Even though I'm sure there are some people that may or may may think that it'll help them in the race for presidency. So, but with that, we get back to our normally scheduled program. Back to the uh, soccer here. I, I think I agree with y'all that um, uh, Cody is the man of the match. I would say that if he wasn't the man of the match, I think I would give it to Suggs. Um, you know, playing both sides and contributing on both sides. Uh, I just think that he he played fairly well from what I saw. And I think the, the next match that we're about to talk about, he, he could be... Uh, in the running for a man of the match in that, even though he only played half of the game. So I got nothing else on El Paso. It was uh, another clean sheet, which you got to be happy with. Sure, we would have loved to get on the board there, but a clean sheet is hard to do, as we learned last year. And it's impressive that we, with that one at the time, we passed last year's total um, in half of the matches. So so that's impressive, and, I, and I'm happy with that. All right, guys, moving right along to the match from Wednesday night this week. New Mexico United in their final regular, what appears to be their final regular season match of the year. They once again traveled up to Harriman, Utah, where heading into the match, United had won the three prior meetings this season uh, against the, the reigning Western Conference, uh, sorry, the reigning uh, USL champion Monarchs, and went in and took yet another win from the Monarchs this season. Now, we've talked about it. The Monarchs are not the same club that we saw last year. They lost a lot of talent, namely Kalen Ryden. Uh, 
who of course came over to New Mexico United. Um, Troy was not on the touchline for this match uh, for obvious for uh, reasons that we that we talked about earlier. And honestly, like I don't know what you guys. We didn't really talk a whole lot during the match last night. Um, I didn't get to see the entire thing until after the fact. I watched the replay of it. Um, but my initial thought when I saw the lineup was, okay, this is uh, this is different because we had six changes from the from the team sheet uh, in the El Paso match, and so we started with uh, Rashid Tete in there, which is you know not really a surprise there. But uh, David Bruce got to start. Ryan Williams got to start. George Salinvi got to start. Romeo Parks got to start. Um, as just a few of the changes that we saw uh, from the the prior match, and honestly, like I wasn't sure about this. Now, I don't know if this was Troy's game plan going into it, or if this is something that Zach Prince decided uh, ahead of the match. But um, what did you guys, or your initial impressions when you saw the team sheet for the match? I was actually shocked. I mean. And not really shocked, like, a bad way. I mean, I kind of saw it coming. I, I figured some of our stars, such as Devin and Bees and Mondo, were going to be in a limited capacity, um, if at all, if we even saw them at all. Obviously, we saw two of the three. Um, I was shocked with a majority of the stars being benched, um, but not two of the main people who have had some some kind of injury here or there, whether they came off the pitch or not. I mean, you saw Cody take the knock a couple weeks back where he bumped his knee on some other guy's knee. and uh, Then you see Josh Suggs, who missed a couple games uh, earlier in the season with a hamstring injury or whatever the injury it was. Um, so seeing those two not really off the pitch um kind of worried me a little bit but overall i think it was a good rest and seeing that we have almost seven days now seven days at this recording um for playoffs to start i mean we should be pretty warmed up to go i wasn't happy with the starting lineup um i i understand the the need to get rest and the fact that we've played all of our matches on the road and it's been a grueling schedule. I understand all of that. Um, if it's so bad that we have to get them rest now, even though they all um, traveled with the team, everybody but Weehan that I saw was on the team sheet in general. Um, you still played Dev, you still played Suggs, you still played Moreno. Um, if you think that that little bit of rest is going to help in the playoffs, um, or was necessary because of the amount of travel that we're doing, then the amount of travel is going to have a, a greater effect when we play again in the playoffs. And to me, it 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 doesn't... The 45 minutes of rest for Suggs and the 70 minutes of rest for Dev and the 80 minutes of rest for Moreno, to me, it would have been more valuable to get them out there for the first 45 minutes like a... It was a normal match. Maybe get one or two goals in the first half. Bring them all off at halftime. Let the other guys play the second half. 
and have your starters have some momentum going into the playoffs as opposed to coming off, uh, you know, the last the last two matches that they've played in has been a 2-1 loss and then a nil-nil draw against El Paso. So, and then before that, it was a 2-0 win against Salt Lake, who is a corpse of a team right now, and then a 3-2 loss to El Paso. So, and then a 1-1 draw at Colorado Springs, if you want to go back even farther. So that's one, two, three, four, five. Five matches there that the result is less than ideal that we would have been working with. So I would have liked to seen momentum and I thought we had plenty of time between this match and the playoffs for them to play 45 minutes and still be fresh come playoff time or as fresh as they can be anyways, come playoff time. So I I just didn't like the idea there. I would have rather seen them start. I'd have rather seen them get some playing time, um, get a couple goals because we we just need that. We need. I feel like we need the boost more than we need the rest. Um, and I, I've already, been, I posted that on the Facebook page. I already got screamed at for it, so I know it's an unpopular opinion. But um, now, we're, what we'll see is rest versus rust. Um, if we get our butts handed to us by San Antonio, which I don't think will happen, but if it happens, then you can't blame it on rest if since you rested the players against Salt Lake. I understand that the season has been very long and on the road, but it's just, I just didn't like it. I was happy with what I saw from the players that we did start, though. I thought that they played a, a very good match. Um, the first half was a little out of sorts a little bit, but then Suggs came on at halftime and, and seemed to stir some stuff up and and we looked really good in the second half with just that one switch uh let alone the other switches that we made so long story short or long answer to your short question there seth was i was not happy with the starting lineup but um i understood why we did it to an extent yeah i i kind of see where you're coming from i wasn't sure about the lineup i didn't think it was necessary to to get that many subs now if you were going to go that far, why not give Philip a match? You know, just in case. Why not take Ryden out? He's been yeah. the freaking stud in the back line this whole time, and he's played every minute of every match. He's the one, to me, that needed a break more than Amondo and Dev and Bees. Like, and he's coming off of a clean sheet against El Paso, so he, the defense seemed to be in pretty good form. It's the offense that has been MIA really the last several matches. And honestly, if you look at the scores, man, I've been telling, I've been saying this the whole time. We can't seem to get over that two goal mark in a match other than the OKC energy match. You know, it's been two or less, two or less, two or less every single match. And our offense should be better than that. It should be, you know, capable of doing the five nil four one, you know, we should, especially against these teams like Salt Lake that has been, like I said, just a shell of a team out there. You know, we should be able to put up on a four or five spot on them, at least a three spot. And we just haven't done it. So the offense just, I don't know what it is, but the offense just needed a boost, needed some flow, needed something. Uh, and and they didn't get it. And so I could have seen, you know, putting Phillip in there, um, 
you know, take giving Ryden a break, giving Yearwood a break, um, something like that. You know, still giving Tanari a break because he's all over the place and and works his butt off. You know, but the players that they did give breaks to, those were the players that I needed to see something from before going into the playoffs. Those were the players that, while they have played very well this year, I feel like they just had another step that they could take. And unfortunately, unless it happens against San Antonio, because we got rested, then we're not going to see it from them. And if Amando leaves or Weehan leaves or any of those guys leave, I'm upset that we'll never see them at their full potential. You know, I, I get all that. I do. Um, I just want, I want to pose one question to you, though. La- I don't know if you remember, last season, Co- Troy said to us that the club needs to get used to playing in these close matches. You know, last season we scored three-plus goals a number of times. And Troy said, you know, because we kept losing the close matches or you ended up with you know, dropping points in those close matches. And here all season long we've seen them play solidly, and really, how many you know, look at we've got, what four losses on the season, four losses, and only one of them has come by more than one goal. If I if I'm if everything if my top of the head math or memory is correct here, do you think that even though we have the ability or that fans think we should be scoring more goals, that the way that Troy ha- has been coaching these guys up this year has been to play in these matches like this? Not necessarily to not finish or not go for more, but understand how to play with a one-goal lead, a two-goal lead, and protect that and defend it and ensure results in these matches. So we have three matches that we won by more than one goal. Um, The OKC and then two against the Monarchs. But I... Yes, we struggled with keeping one or two goal leads last year. In my opinion, the good teams you can you can tell a lot about a team just by looking at the standings, right? I think you can tell a little bit more about a team by looking at their goal differential. Like you look at the standings, you know, we're at plus 6 for the season. We're 8, 4 and 3 and we're only plus 6. You look at teams like Phoenix, plus 26 in the goal differential department. Reno, plus 21. Pittsburgh, plus 28. San Antonio, plus 17. Louisville, plus 15. Those, that goal differential to me, while while winning the close matches is important, and the ability to be able to do that is very important, and it's something that we struggled with. So I could see an emphasis on that going into this year. Sure. However, the good teams don't have to rely on that ability to win by one goal. The championship caliber teams, when they play a Real Monarchs team that is absolutely terrible, they take care of business in the first half and then coast in the second half, and that's where you get rest. You know, yes, I... I want to see close wins. I want to see come from behind wins, which is something that we have not seen this year. Even we haven't even seen a come from behind draw. You know, everything's been, we get out in front or we lose. There's really been no in between there. So 
I could see him putting an emphasis on being able to close out those close games. I can't see an emphasis on him not wanting to step on somebody's throat. You know, I, I can't see him going, no, 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 guys, we're going to play this defensively and we're going to try to win this by one goal instead of trying to push forward and win by two or three goals. Oh, no, I don't I don't think he's doing that. I don't think he's saying not go for the goal I, or, you know, to, to secure that lead, you know, make it bigger. I don't think he's saying that at all. I think he is just he has coached them up to a point where they're more comfortable playing with these one goal leads and these two goal leads. And they understand better how to make those transitions and not give up those those goals that we saw last season, which is fine. And and it was something that we needed to work on. But that doesn't excuse the fact that our offense hasn't been able to step on somebody's throat and put the game away um, while also making sure you don't give up that lead. Like, I feel like our attacking talent is just too good to not have a four or five goal match throughout the season to have only scored four goals in the last five matches against some very, very well, four goals in the last four matches, sorry, um, against some questionable opponents. Like a one goal per match average is not, it's just not good enough with that attacking talent. So I've been wanting to see something like that for a while and we haven't seen it. I haven't seen that offensive, I haven't seen that offense just come to life like I keep expecting it to. I've been saying for seemingly the whole season that we were going to have a four or five goal output one of these matches and it just never comes, even though you look at the talent and it's insane and you look at how we play in stretches, how our offense looks in in stretches and it just, it never, never comes. So I just wish we would have put the pedal to the metal a couple of times and not had to worry about the one goal lead late in the match. I, I, have to mirror almost exactly what Jacob said. I mean, I don't think coach is trying to play the close games. I mean, the more goals you can score, the better. Oh no! Because um, obviously, it's going to count in the long run. If you wind up in a tie, your goal differential obviously. I do feel like he put a bigger strong. He put a stronger emphasis on the defense, um, especially when uh, Smitty went out with his injury. So that was obviously his, he had a hold of Phil. So I feel like he fears defense. So therefore he puts more effort into the defense. And I'm hoping that the defense and all the work that's been put into it and pretty much playing defensively, hopefully that plays out in the long run where we play San Antonio and we get up in that one, the one nil lead, two one lead, or whatever the lead may be for us, and we can sit on the duck and just. Let me ask you guys this: comparing this season to last season. Now, last season we did score, score sixty goals on the year in a full, you know, thirty four match season. This year we've scored um, twenty twenty three. Okay, we have. We mentioned a plus six goal differential. Compared to last season, we last season we gave up fifty nine goals in thirty four matches. That is one point seven goal you know goal per game that we were conceding last year. 
We've cut that down this year to a 1.1 goals conceded per match. Now, if you take out the Phoenix match, it obviously goes down even further. To me, looking at it, yes, we we should have scored more this year. And there was a lot of questions as far as you know what's going to happen with with Santi leaving with with Kevon, and I think the guys that we have this year have done enough offensively to put us in a position to win every game. And the improvements on defense have been more than capable, more than more than enough to do the same thing. Now, could we have said the same thing about last year's defense? No, last year's defending was was horrendous at times. Can you think of a single match this year outside outside of Phoenix, obviously, where we just had a terrible defensive performance? A whole match, no. Um, the first half of El Paso this last weekend, I don't think was great, or the first half of the first half at least. Uh, but other than that, no. I There's no doubting that our defense is miles and miles better than it was last year. That's... That's not something that that I'm questioning at all, um, and and that's that's what it's going to take to win in the playoffs, obviously, in the championship, because um, we've seen offensive juggernauts like Phoenix last year, you know, not be able to do it in in the playoffs because your offense, you know, everything gets tighter, everything gets gets a little harder to score, everything. Everything's different in the playoffs, which I'm hoping that that means we have a chance, but it doesn't matter how good your defense plays, just like in that El Paso match, if you don't score, then it doesn't matter. And the only thing about our defense is that we've still talked about set pieces a little bit, which I have seen a lot better lately, but we do seem to have lapses every once in a while, like that the not the last El Paso match, but the one before it. You know, I thought we played a pretty good defensive game and they still were able to get three goals off of us, basically off of three momentary lapses. So I just, I think we needed to score more goals. But the the defense this year is definitely, definitely better. And I think it's good enough to compete. So it could, so and I was just thinking about this now. It could also be, because if you look at the Eastern Conference where, Coach Troy came from, that is a majority defensive teams. I mean, you don't see crazy offensive outputs of five five goals in a game. You don't see that quite often. Um, for the most part, you'll see a one one nil win to two two nil win, um, maybe even two one. Uh, maybe Coach Troy is going back to that kind of set to where. I mean, we all know COVID or 2020 is crazy. Um, so you go back to what you're comfortable with, which is obviously where he came from, defensive push. Does it kind of balance out with having the signings of Amando Moreno and, and Romeo Parks? Yeah, of course it does. But in the same sense, you're pushing more defense, and you can see it. You're pushing more defense to not get beat on the back. Yeah, I could see... I can see that being being part of the case is him going back to back to that. I I feel like last year if we'd have had a little bit of that though, we'd have been much better off. So I'm not sure why he would go away from it for a whole year 
and then try to go back to it this year. But um, when we talked at the beginning of the season, you know, the Najim and Raiden were going to make our defense better. That was pretty much guaranteed. Uh, you, we questioned if we did enough sign. We did enough with the signings on the offensive side of the ball, and I think we did. I think if you go down the line, just based off talent, I think we actually improved in a couple the two spots that everybody thinks we were missing big guys on with Santi and Kev leaving. I think if you if you just put them in a vacuum and you say, "Do you want a Mondo Moreno or Santi Moore?" Talent wise, I'm picking Moreno, and honestly, I'm thinking I'm doing the same with Parks. Um, but that's partly because I wasn't a big fan of Kev, and I really like what I see from Romeo most of the time. Uh, I know he hasn't produced like Kev did. I've I've liked what he's done other matches too, though. I just he hasn't finished, but you know he's. He's done a good job holding up stuff. He's he's distributed a little bit. He he's a big presence up there that has to be you have to worry about him. He's got more speed than Devin up top. I just I feel like he's he could perform at a much higher level if if uh if he was given legit chances to do so. So I think that overall the signings all around have lived up to what we thought they would do and that this year is a much better squad than last year. I I sound doom and gloom for this match against San Antonio, but trust me, by the time next week rolls around when we're actually previewing it, I'm going to predict we're going to win 2-0. Because I I believe in our talent, and I believe in Coach. I do believe in Troy, Uh, even if I've questioned things the last couple weeks. uh, he He knows this team better than I do. He knows this team better than than anybody on this planet so in coach troy we trust i guess all right guys we, we've had a lot of good discussion here now i do want to talk about uh the goal george salenzi got his second goal of the season uh i thought that was probably one of the best runs of play that united had the entire match uh great ball over the top from from kaylin uh got up to josh suggs uh who was able to get a uh, get a foot on it he got it over to uh, uh over to alenvi in the middle he made a fantastic play on the ball uh, with two defenders on him. Uh, got it in. Uh, congrats to the Frenchman. Uh, second goal of the season. I mean, United basically dominated the match. You look at the the end of match stats, it was like 70% possession or somewhere in those in that neighborhood. Uh, and United just controlled the ball. Now, one of the things I heard on the, on the call was United was doing a lot of passing around the back, but, you know, which is a little bit unusual for us. Because we t- we like to play the long ball, but I think this once again shows that we're able to control possession and then build up and then and, and at the other end you know make runs and we saw it from a guy that's not Devin that's not Bees and I think that just gives us one more weapon that we can deploy here in the playoffs. What do you guys think? So I actually didn't watch the whole match. I'll be honest with you, I didn't watch the whole match. I mean, I had work going on till. Almost eight thirty nine o'clock, and at that point, I hadn't spent any time with my family, with my wife, so I decided to check out and have some family time. Even without watching the second half of the match, I do feel like Joris has always been one of the threats that we have. I mean, he is willing to come up from the middle, and he's perfectly capable of scoring goals, obviously, so... 
I feel like coming now into the playoffs, that is a threat that we should 100% utilize. Whether we use him up top, use running with the four up front, or have him come back and come up as a center fielder. I mean, he's more than capable of putting putting some goals in. Yeah, I think he, for being a young guy, he definitely is somebody that that could play a role in uh, in the future of this club, especially if we can sign him again or if he's on a two-year contract by chance. Um, for the playoffs, though, while he, he, I mean, he's the fourth leading scorer. He's got two goals all on the season, more than everybody except for Dev, Amando, and Weehan, and he's done it in only six appearances. So I'm sure his goals per minute are through the roof. But I would be shocked if he actually plays more than a few minutes in a playoff match this year, barring an injury to somebody. Um, So while next year, if he's on the team, I could see him being a huge help. Um, I wouldn't say he's a weapon that we can deploy or that we would deploy uh, here in in this postseason, I don't know. I, I see your point of view. Uh, I do have to disagree a little bit. I mean, even in this limited time, like I, I've enjoyed watching him play. I think he's he's definitely uh, someone that we need to keep an eye on. I would like to see him back next season, like he, like you mentioned. Um, but I do think he he can be a little bit more dangerous than I think what you're what you're kind of saying he he could be. Um, maybe he's someone that we can put in there for you know Juan Pablo here a time or two um, or use him in spells instead of Juan Pablo. I'd like to see him link up with Andrew Tenari. I think that relationship could be very good. You know, you've got uh, Andrew definitely probably the, the better of the two defensively and Joris can go forward. Uh, so I think there's a, there's a real, there's something there that could be beneficial, not only here in the playoffs, no matter how far we go, but also uh, into next season as well. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's not, a talented player or that actually what you just said, putting him in for Guzman, I would love that, but I'm also, I've never been that high on Guzman even last year. So, so personally, I would love to see that realistically. I just don't think we do. That's all I'm saying is that I, I would be surprised if he gets any real playing time in the postseason, not because I don't want him there, but because when it's do or die time, I think I don't think Troy is going to lean on a rookie. I think he's going to want, you know, Brucey, Tanari, Guzman, the guys that have been his ride or die for most of the year and most of last year. Um, so I just, I just don't think we'll see him. Not necessarily that I wouldn't want to see him. Yeah. I just have to wait and see what happens. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, not necessarily wanting to have a rookie in there. I mean, Tenari is a rookie, so you know, Tenari is not a rookie. Yeah, he is. No, Tenari came from Tampa Bay Rowdies last year, just like Najim, Elenvi and Elenvi and um, um, Sergi are the two rookies. That's right, Sergi. I have the the stats page pulled up for the team, mm-hmm. and and something just caught my eye that is wildly surprising to me. Um, Bruce doesn't have a shot on the year, let alone a shot on target or a goal. Didn't he have one th- yesterday? Or for the Monarchs, whatever day that was? According to this, Bruce has no shots, no shots on target, no goals. 
I think he had one from the right of the from the top right of the box. It was way off, and they went straight to the straight to the stands, pretty much. Yeah, then they might they might have called it a craw. I don't remember which one exactly you're talking about. They might have called it a cross or something instead, because at the moment the USL website has him as nothing. And honestly, even if he just had the one, the fact that it came on the last match of the regular season, like if you'd have told me he would have gotten, he'd get. Let's see how many minutes played he has. 550 minutes and only have, and have zero or one shot on target. I would be shocked um, after seeing his explosiveness last year and how well he played on the offensive side of the ball last year. So that's just just something that caught my eye and wanted to throw it out there because it seems like we could utilize him on the offensive side of the ball a little bit more. Well, I think part of it with Brucey is that he's been playing more of a right wing back type role this season. Right. Instead of a true like right wing, right mid. Um, so he's not going to have as many opportunity attacking opportunities as we, as we saw last season. Um, I also wouldn't pat, put it past the USL website to not be working correctly. Yeah, um, for sure. Something, something they did in the off season uh, or prior to the season, like really screwed up like their, their interfaces and the way the website, the way the different pages act. Like you can't even go to like, individual player stats that you can't click on the names anymore from the, from the match page, from mm-hmm. the roster, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So it would not surprise me if their website is up, is acting up. But uh, honestly, I think it's more, the, more the role that he's, he was playing this year. You know, he's playing, like I said, more of that right wing back, uh, not necessarily an attacking position, but someone who's going to help facilitate is going to help make crosses. He's going to put balls in the box. Um, I think we've seen a couple times where he's, uh, either hit or come close to nailing, uh, you know, one of those hockey assists that, that you like to talk about. So mm-hmm. I agree. I, I, I definitely know that he's played a different, a little bit different role. I just feel like maybe we should have utilized him in, in the role that he had last year, just a little bit every once in a while this year. Um, and I think, I think part of it is, you know, We've needed more wingbacks. We've needed more defensive player, more defensive positions filled than last year. So it, it could just be because of that. And he, that's he's played where he's had to play, and he's been versatile, and he's done a really good job playing where he, he's been asked to play, um, especially defensively. And and I feel like he's he's done pretty good with distributing the ball and and stuff like that. So. I think he's had a good year. It's just not what I would have expected coming into the year. You know, I did. I I think in my season preview questions, when we talked about having to make up the goals for for um, Santi and Kev leaving, I'm pretty sure I had Brucey getting like four or five, and he doesn't even have a shot. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a strange season for sure, all the way around. Uh, but we have reached the end of the regular season, for, uh, as far as we know. Uh, again, there may or may not be one last match against RGV. We don't think it's going to happen. So as soon as we know what's going to go on with the playoffs, you know, El Paso does have their match Saturday night. Uh, we will be back on the airwaves on hopefully Tuesday night next week to record the next episode and give you guys uh, a preview of the first round of the playoffs. Um, Jacob, let's get out of here, man. I know it's late. I know Earl is uh, falling asleep over there at his keyboard. So (laughs) uh, let's, let's go ahead and call it there for tonight, guys. Sounds good. Yeah. sounds good. It's, it's been a fun ride uh, for the regular season here and I'm ready to, 
to get onto the postseason and see what happens there. I, I don't want the season, I don't want games to stop. So hopefully we have what one, two, three more, four more at least. Um, so we'll, like he's, like you said, we'll hopefully be back next week to, well, we, we will be next back next week and we'll hopefully know kind of who we're facing and when we're facing them. So we'll have something to talk about then. As always, you can catch us on social media. Um, Earl runs our Facebook page, does a fantastic job there. So if you're on Facebook, just look up Somos Unidos News, you'll find it. Uh, we got Twitter, we got the Suncast Twitter and Somos Unidos News Twitter, as well as um, our personal feeds. You know, you can find Seth on Twitter. You can find me or Earl on Facebook if you just look for us or catch us in the uh, New Mexico United Nation page and, and talk to us there. Or you can email us, um, Seth at Dead Ventures Media, Jacob at Dead Ventures Media. I feel like we need to get Earl a Dead Ventures Media email so that I can throw him in there as well, since he is part of the club. Again, next week we'll figure something out. I don't know if it'll be Wednesday or Thursday or Tuesday, but as soon as we figure out what's going on in the playoffs, we'll be back. And uh, thanks, I want to thanks to uh, Vinovix for for chatting it up in there with us. We always like to see interaction over there, even if it is a silly and goofy type. So. Uh, glad that we got some of that in and, and guys come on over to the Twitch channel. If you're just listening to it in podcast form, you know, um, we'll, we'll try to be better about announcing when we're going to be on Twitch, uh, cause it does vary every once in a while, but come and chat with us in there. It's, it's a fun little forum. You can see it, listen to us live. And the, the only thing about listening to it live compared to, um, listening to podcast form is I can't listen to live podcasts because I listen normally at like 1.5 speed. And when I listen to somebody just talk regularly, regularly, they sound drunk. So, so it, it's still a fun time though. Come chat with us and uh, catch us next week uh, for Seth and Earl. I'm Jacob. We'll talk to you guys next week and some sonidos. You've been listening to Suncast, the official podcast of Somos Unidos News. All of our shows are recorded live from Albuquerque and Los Lunas, New Mexico, are written and produced by Seth Bidoff and Jacob Terrell, and are edited by Seth. Special thanks to Jeff, too, on YouTube for the music you hear in every episode. All episodes are recorded and edited using Clean Feed and Audacity. All of our shows are proudly hosted on Pinecast.